Hey, this is Jeff. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know this is our first ever recording. Uh, back in October, we started doing the Star Wars binge. This recording, though we love the content, is still us trying to figure some stuff out, uh, both with our tech, banter, and all the other things, so do give us some grace. Also, while you're listening to this, if you would please, would you take a moment and give us some stars, or perhaps even write a review. That helps other people find the show, and it means an enormous amount to us, and we put tons and tons of energy and hours into creating these. Any shares on social media are hugely effective and helpful, and we're so thankful that you're doing the deep dive with us. So, enjoy. The flag is too heavy. General, I left a squad to protect the tanks. Are you sure this is the shortest way to the landing zone? No, I'm not sure, Commander. All I can do is trust my instincts. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Chicago, Illinois, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. How's it going, Daniel? I, I'm great. This is, the, this is the sound of my voice. We are joined by Josiah Mothershed, Denver artist and repository of Star Wars lore. So we have the band of brothers on today. Excited. That is true. Fun fact, y'all, in 2008, one uh, George Lucas described his vision for the Clone Wars as being Band of Brothers only with Jedi. Huh. So we were talking about the Clone Wars today. You guys got way less talkative once we actually started. It's <laughs> because <laughs> you were so ready, man. You had you had it all going. And we're like, oh my gosh. I didn't know there was be titles thrown around. Uh, you know what it was? There's a, there's a script in front of me and... Because I know uh, the actor part of my brain is like, well, these aren't my lines, so be quiet. I feel like George Lucas saying that he wants us to be a band of brothers, but with Jedi goes along with this whole tradition of how Star Wars is for kids, but not really. It's just I think his taste level is what <laughs> came out like for kids, but all the stuff that he messes with is like this is not for kids, man. So yeah, the same same with the band of brothers reference, I think. So we began our binge with four episodes from the Siege of Mandalore, which we are calling the prolapsis. It's a good filmmaking term. Terrible medical we... term as well, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Have you ever had a prolapsis? No. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. So we walk through the exceptional Siege of Mandalore arc. Uh, for the binge purposes, it sets the theme, the character, the foreshadowing, and reminds us what we love most about Star Wars. But now we are starting at the beginning, and chronologically we're going to move from here to the end. Now, if you look at our binge list online, you'll see that we have divided the Clone Wars into three big parts. The first 11 episodes we're going to call Students. There's a whole ton up front about young people learning who they are in the context of this war. And we have lots of individual episodes that are going to introduce these characters in the galaxy far, far away. But we think the best episode to begin with is 
The Landing at Point Rain, which is Season 2, Episode 5. So for those of you who are not familiar with The Clone Wars, it may feel weird that we're kind of jumping into the second season as the first episode. But Clone Wars actually bounces around quite a bit. And if you actually jump in at a place that just makes sense, where you're introduced to characters, themes, and motivations, this one works. So, Josiah, you got any thoughts on that? Is this a good place to go in terms of introducing the galaxy far, far away? Yeah, I think so. And it definitely made me wish that we had just jumped right into the Clone Wars. And especially this episode, I definitely think it's a good starting point because, you know, you... you get into the action and through that you find out everything you need to know about the characters within the first few minutes of the episode. Yep. I think the best reason to watch the Clone Wars is it's absolutely a 100% better introduction to Anakin, the way he thinks and and the way he is and I thought this was great because you're just kind of introduced to this cocky character but he's legendary and yep. you see that in this episode, right? And I just would have loved to seen us starting with just more of that legendary, who is this hero? Who is this leading the front lines Jedi? Uh, so that's kind of my my biggest reason why I think it's definitely a good starting point. Agreed. You got thoughts on that, Dan? I do. I do. Um, I, I agree with Josiah in as much as like it, it definitely starts with action. Yep. The actual prequel films, there is a there is a near Shakespearean level of like political uh, plot and intrigue and machinations that, that are discussed and and this starts right away with action and like we said earlier the war in Star Wars you've got that right away and I was immediately intrigued I will push back on what Josiah said though do not like Anakin I, I feel like he might be an adult when we meet him in the series but I do not feel like he has emotionally progressed past being the little kid we meet in the junk shop. Let's talk on that, because I think that will be the biggest hang-up for, for anyone wanting to just jump into these. Much of the early Clone Wars is fought by young people. None of the clones are over the age of 13. Anakin is 20 and Ahsoka is 15. These are all kids that are fighting in this war. When I watch a show like Game of Thrones... I can see a character like Arya Stark and realize, oh, she's just 12 or she's just 10 or whatever age she is. And I give a, I give a little extra there. And I see, what's her sister name? Uh, uh, Sansa. I see Sansa Stark. And Sansa is likewise portrayed real early on as very whiny, very self-entitled character. And yet the reason that Game of Thrones works is that by the end, they have gone through a gauntlet and have suffered and had to develop and on the backside end up being mature characters who I'm more rooting for and not just thinking, oh, that's just a middle schooler on film. <laughs> so I think you do see that childish uh, kind of uh, angsty side of Anakin uh, and because he falls to Darth Vader, I feel like you don't get that other side of the arc where if it was a more redemptive arc, I think maybe those personality traits would be redeeming. But uh, it, it just seems, uh, you know, because we know know the, the way the story unfolds, I think, and because we know that it just turns to Darth Vader, it's not that redemption. Um, but, but I do think it's interesting, just kind of his bullheadedness and his cockiness, but there's several times throughout the Clone Wars series where you see a lot of the things that he butts heads with on the Jedi um, usually relates to, uh, you know, an attachment of some kind or, you know, caring more about something that the Jedi 
say you should not care about. So I think that's what's interesting as those moments kind of perk up. It's very subtle because Anakin is, especially in the Clone Wars, uh, you know, all bravado, a lot of cockiness, but super effective and super good. But so to that point, I think it's interesting to see him butt heads with the Jedi in that way because it's usually about something he actually cares about. But also, and also technically the things he's not supposed to do, right? I mean, and that, that's the interesting thing about knowing about the Jedi. Like, you're not supposed to have these emotional attachments. You're not supposed to be angry. You're not supposed to, but, but Anakin is exclusively those things. Yeah. Conflict is what's interesting in story. So, so I, I do agree. Like, he has to be those things in order for, in order for there to be a reason to tune into the show. To build into this then, they're in the middle of a war. Why is Anakin fighting in this war? What is his motive in putting himself and his loved ones on the line. I, I don't think there is a reason, and I honestly think if you asked him, he probably couldn't tell you a reason. I think he is there because he was chosen to be there, and he was chosen to be there by Qui-Gon Jinn, if, to, to reference the Phantom Menace, uh, of someone looking at him and saying, there is this prophecy, and I've decided it is going to be you, yep. in the same way in Harry Potter... There's two kids born at the exact same time, but it ends up being Harry because the bad guy chose Harry to be the one who is. And I feel like that's Qui-Gon chose Anakin to, to, to come along on this journey. So he's just there because Liam Neeson pulled him out of the desert. So I think he's literally the kid that gets swept up and joins the war, which you've seen in countless war films. I think there is a lot of that going on. My my take on this character throughout is that the primary emotion that Anakin has is fear, uh, from when he's a little kid through through his twenties, and even when he becomes Vader, it's always fear, fear, fear. And fearful people attach to those who are strong, who are going to keep them safe, and that's what he has done. He has divorced himself from his mom, who is ta- keeping him safe, and now he, and attached himself to Qui Gon and then attached himself to the Jedi Order and to Obi-Wan. And then when when it feels like there is a more powerful being, he divorces from the Jedi who seem to have these rules, these standards that, that aren't very stable. He can't trust them. They're not making him feel good. And he attaches to one who seems to have it all together and is is clearly more powerful. So really what we're saying is he's looking for... To, to reference Oliver Twist, but specifically the musical, there is the song Consider Yourself at Home, and they talk about being one of us and part of the, part of the family. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for, for, for home and stability and comfort, yeah? How many of the great stories are about the orphans? All of them. <laughs> they are all orphans, man. Spider-Man's an orphan. Superman's an orphan. Luke Skywalker's an orphan. <laughs> Princess Leia is an orphan. Boba Fett is an orphan. Ray is an orphan. Finn is an orphan. Uh, both the Mandalorian and the child are orphans. And of course, one Anakin Skywalker is an orphan. Let's go to a different universe. Frodo Baggins is, a, is an orphan. Every Disney movie, no, no Disney character has both living parents. Or if it's a Pixar film, no one has a dad. And then there's the opposite side of that. You, the reason that the orphan is so powerful is because of what they are longing for, and they're lo- what they're longing for is home. Is what what is the place that I'm gonna find the place that my you know my heart and my soul are at rest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, that's how uh, maybe this whole saga ends with with rest. With uh, one Anakin Skywalker finally finding 
his home, his arrest, feeling as though uh, he's arrived. The very last line from Luke to Vader is, I need to save you. And Vader saying to his son, You already have. Yeah. Why is Ahsoka fighting this war? Compared to the rest of the Jedi in the series, I feel like she's honestly the only one asking herself that question. Yep. Right? Because she kind of realizes the the hypocrisy, and, and there's a character in the, the next episode who, who kind of points that out as well and ends up being instrumental in, in, in Ahsoka's, uh, yeah, eventual arc there. But, yeah, I think out of all the characters, she also doesn't seem to really have an attachment to the Jedi Order, and I think that comes from her... her tutelage under under Anakin so I think there's already kind of that inherent not disrespect for the organization but I guess that distrust that maybe Anakin kind of instills in her Um, but yeah I feel like from from her perspective she's maybe the only character in the Jedi Order asking herself that and and I don't think she knows other than just being a part of this order that she didn't really necessarily have a choice and she was just kind of adopted into it and trained under it. And so I think she she wrestles with that from the very beginning. We're going to see Ahsoka in some of the episodes as a deeply loyal character. It strikes me that she ends up giving her full self and heart to the people that she cares about. But if you betray her, then you're cut off. And we'll see this a couple times where there's, there are some folks who are uh, do, do her dirty and will never ever get her loyalty again. And so she, what, she was found? Her family history apparently just hasn't been told yet, because I was looking for this everywhere. Somehow her family got wiped out. Uh, she's brought into the Jedi Order, but I, I don't even think in her book um, we get into really her where she really came from. It's kind of all yeah. about her story from, uh, from the point we see her in the Clone Wars on, basically. Uh, lastly... Uh, why is Obi-Wan fighting in this war? My allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! I, I also feel like Obi-Wan is kind of a company man. Like, oh yeah, I've been doing this for forever, and yes. this is what we do. We do yep. this, we say this, we wear this, we don't do this, uh, and we go along. I think the interesting thing is, we've talked about movies where you have an older character taking the other one under his wing and bringing him down a path. I think with Obi-Wan and Anakin, you have a different relationship where this this sort of rigid, immovable uh, guy in in Obi-Wan follows the rules. Anakin is the one who's suddenly making him do things that he normally wouldn't. So suddenly Obi-Wan, who is very by the book, is like running around, stealing speeders, doing other things like that. Um, This kid shakes up his his life of of just service. He's a servant. Yep. It's kind of the ultimate test for him, right? Uh, But I think you nailed it with the company man, because He's not an Anakin that is just this prodigy. He's very, very gifted and masterful, of course. But yeah, he's loyal. He he does. He's a diligent study. He, he does everything right, and is a total believer. Um, but yeah, I think it's a hundred percent part of the order. This is my duty. I'm gonna do it. Uh, and and you don't see you don't see complete uh, lack of questioning uh, of motives from him. Uh, but uh, he, he's definitely more like this is just this is what. What we're doing, so I'm, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, and I'm going to do it for, for the good of, of the, the Jedi Order. One of the things that often gets missed, I think, when talking about the Jedi is it's a religion. 
and maybe the biggest thing it is is a religion. It's a spirituality that gives meaning, context, and perspective to somebody's life. And he clearly has bought in from an early age and said, this is the right way to think about myself in the world, and I'm, I'm 100% bought in, even when his desires are really pushing him a different direction, which we'll get into. He has decided this system is worth my one and only life. Mm. And apparently, if the Jedi Council is saying this is what we're going to do, then that's the right thing to do. And there's the company man side. We have a job to do, Anakin. Try not to upset him. The futility of this war, I'm going to bring up occasionally because it seems to me to be a central theme throughout. And we certainly see it at the very end of the seventh season with Ahsoka staring at the lineup of helmets. But there's something about what is my motive for fighting this war and was it realized at the end that is going to color a lot of this introduction to this universe. One last point by way of setup. Many of you will notice that we are beginning the binge by skipping episode one and episode two. These movies did not make our cut. If you are binging just the best 40 hours of Star Wars, we think there are far superior stories, execution, payoffs that introduce Anakin and a galaxy far, far away. Can, can I ask you what you think that is? I mean, and again, you, you, you can definitely cut this. Now I'm just curious what you would say, though, is the better introduction to Anakin. Oh, well, the better introduction is what we're going to do right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the better introduction to Anakin comes out in the Clone Wars series, in my mind, because what Padme was supposed to do in the prequels... Ahsoka does in the Clone Wars, and that's humanize this character. Oh, yeah. You can have, you know, a romantic relationship, but I don't know that the romantic relationship really exposes Anakin's heart in the in the prequels, and there's lots of reasons why. Yeah. Oh, I think it's... Uh, the, why I think it's absolutely the better introduction. The things that he does in this show are legendary. That is what you need to see to understand how good this character is. And I mean that by like how good of a Jedi he actually is and how powerful he is. I feel like you need to see that and that kind of young, like, uh, you know, uh, captain of the, the football team, like bravado. But like I mentioned, all the pain points for him and all the things that he disagrees with Jedi with are actually from a place of heart and attachment. So I feel like that is why it's such a better introduction is because you just see this character who is who can do these legendary things, these incredible feats and acts, and you're just like, whoa. But then he has this decline, and that's a much better place to start. And nothing we really got to see uh, in, in really any of the prequels uh, is just how good he actually is and kind of how naturally talented he is. That's why I think it's cool. Is you, you see this character that this could really be the chosen one because he, he is legendary. Final thoughts on that, Dan? Uh, I agree. That that was uh, somewhere in my notes I wrote that down too, where, where I was like, wow, like in the same way I was really drawn to the film Rogue One, like to, to be able to see the wars part of Star Wars and the and specifically with, with Anakin in this episode, like there there is all of the skills are on display. Clearly very physical, clearly very agile, clearly very strong, clearly can can wield the lightsaber and clearly knows how to 
go into battle and you see what Qui-Gon saw in him and you also see why he's gonna why he could potentially be the one to bring about balance to the universe because yeah the, all those skills are on display you can't just tell me you're real powerful you can't just tell me you're a legendary fighter at some point I need you to melee 20 rebel soldiers in a hallway and it probably shouldn't have taken 30 years to get there yeah. there's another top three villain of all time that has this kind of uh, movie arc where you hear all about Hannibal Lecter how awful he is and you never see it. He's, he's the guy who's dressed up in, a, you know, in his prison jumpsuit behind glass. <laughs> At some point you need the payoff. You need to really show me that this guy has the skills that you are saying he does. And Silence of the Lambs works because it gives you that scene. So Silence of the Lambs is actually my favorite movie. Of all time? Yeah, it, wow. it's up there. I think I knew that. It, it, yeah, Silence, it's Silence of the Lambs and A Fish Called Wanda, but A Fish Called Wanda has no parallel to, to this uh, universe. Silence of the Lambs works because you don't see Hannibal fully as a monster until he breaks out of prison, and then, you know, he, he crucifies the guard, and he takes them, like... But you get little glimpses. The first time you meet him when he kind of... He lurches forward just a little bit at Clarice, and it and, and it pulls her back, and and you you get these little illusions that pay off at the end when he kills those guards and breaks out of prison. Like you you, you and that's good storytelling, and that's great writing. Like you you get these little moments; they're little short moments, but they're really sweet little moments of like, whoa, did you see that? <laughs> Clearly, this this means something. This is important to reference another George Lucas script. You know how to fly, don't you? No. Do you? One of the great things about the Clone Wars is we actually do get a chance to see Anakin's powers, understand them, and, and apply them to all the great things that we're going to see with Vader in the future. All right, you guys want to get into this? Yeah. The landing at Point Rain. This is the first of a four-part arc. Uh, lots of the Clone Wars is set up with little movies that we're going to call arcs. There's like three or four episodes that kind of go together. And this one is the Geonosis arc. Um, we're just going to look at the first two episodes. They're, they made our top 40 list. Side note, this episode is really special for me because it was actually the episode that made me straighten up after years of being in the desert of the Star Wars wasteland. <laughs> and I watched, I remember watching this. It had come on Netflix and I Googled, what should I watch? And this was the episode that came up. People said, this, this is a good place to start. When they start descending towards the planet, I was like, this is what I've wanted. This is what my heart has desired for so long. So it starts out with the na narrator saying, Counterattack. With the clone army stretched in a desperate attempt to engage General Grievous' Starfleet, separatist planets that were once thought secure are now rising up against the Republic. There we are. Sets up the war. Sets up our battle. The, the separatists aren't content just to take their toys and go home. They are actually actively developing armies to fight against, uh, against the Republic. On Geonosis, Separatist leader Pago the Lesser, safe in his newly ray-shielded factories, creates thousands of terrible new weapons, which march off the assembly line against the outnumbered clone army. It kind of gives you the sense up front here that it's not just that the Separatists are divorcing themselves, but that they may actually be much more powerful. 
The Jedi, resolute in their effort to restore order to the Republic, mount a massive invasion to retake Geonosis and shut down Poggle's factories of terror once and for all. Terrible weapons. What do you see here? I thought this, it feels like the radio, and it feels like listening to people announce the bombing of, of England or, the, or, or, or any of these teletape, here's what is happening right now in this great war to end all wars. It's World War II. If we look at stuff that Lucas is trying to accomplish with the original trilogy, he says that the original trilogy has a lot of Vietnam going on in it. And it would make sense that in order to set up Vietnam that you're going to tell a story about World War II. And you're going to tell a story about all the the generals, the soldiers, and what they were fighting for there. And how it actually ended up perhaps being transformed in the 50s and 60s with this other conflict. And it looks like it's all wrapped in the flag of America, but it's actually perhaps very different types of conflicts for very different reasons. And it makes sense that, okay, we're going to tell a Band of Brothers story, but it's, it's got that World War II element to it. It's not Vietnam, it's D-Day. Yeah. Mm. Got to destroy the weapons factories. Fun fact, and this may be why this episode appeals to me so much, my grandfather was a uh, photo reconnaissance pilot in World War II, so he took pictures of Nazi bomb factories before and after they were uh, bombed. That's just one of the big things you have to do in war. It's like we're going to target where those who are opposition are manufacturing all of their weapons, all of the bombs that are going to kill our citizens. And clearly, when the clones are going in, Mm -hmm. they are seeking to destroy a factory that is mass producing, you know, all of these these droids that are their what their doppelgangers what would you call that their foils their uh, their opposites here in this in this conflict foils is a good word josiah talk about how dates work in star wars the clone wars last from 22 bby to 19 bby and we might reference that a couple times uh you want to give the skinny on that before baby yoda obviously right it's before baby yoda <laughs> <laughs> i've had some some reasonable idea of 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 dates in Star Wars, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm not a, a full full expert on on the BBY. I'm going to give you the skinny uh, because the entry point for all of us into Star Wars uh, originally is New Hope. The dates when describing the galaxy, the galaxy is space, but time is divided up into years, and the Battle of Yavin which is the Mm. destruction of the first Death Star, is the center point of history for all of Star Wars. Now, most of Star Wars lore comes before the Battle of Yavin, so the Old Republic, um, and then the New Republic, and then the Clone Wars, is all before the Battle of Yavin. And so anytime you see BBY, that's what they're referring to. So so the Clone Wars are 22 years before uh, the Death Star is destroyed, before the Battle of Yavin, and they last for three years. They don't know it's BBY. Correct. Right? Like the people, okay. Because when you said the thing about time, I didn't know if it was a thing where it's like time was telescoping both forward and backwards and therefore it, like they know about that even though it hasn't happened or if it was just. It's kind of like Star Wars is BC and and AD. That's how it works. Right. Yeah. The people people in in BC did not know they were before Jesus Christ. (laughs) If you just want to jump into a uh, Star Wars encyclopedia in your free time, you know, like you do, then uh, those will be some of the terms. <laughs> uh, I didn't know that. That's uh, that's incredibly interesting. 
so as such, uh, we can date all the people's ages. Um, I said this earlier, but Ahsoka is 15, Anakin is 20, and Obi-Wan is 36. And so, young people fighting this war. This episode begins on a starship, and Obi-Wan says... I cannot believe we're back here again. Coyote Mundi. It is unfortunate. The resistance from the native Genosians was stronger than we anticipated. Which is, of course, a reference to the events of Attack of the Clones. The same can be said for their loyalty to Count Dooku, a fact that is often overlooked. So, apparently Count Dooku, Separatists, Geonosians, getting our, our feel here. Let's talk about this character real quick. Coyote Mundi. See him in all three of the prequels, but not really fleshed out. He's just a kind of a Caucasian-looking guy with an enormous head. Which I believe houses two hearts, or or his head is big because there's another heart up there. Is that right? Yes, I didn't know that. That is true. I, I believe so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. He's actually when I think about characters that I wish had more screen time in the films, uh, like I was I was watching him in this one, and I just I like this is a great character. It is a great character, and it is a shame that he was wasted. Like like visually, he's a compelling character, but also like I, I he's he's clearly a great uh, he's a good Jedi. He's a good person. He's a good warrior. And he's also funny. Like he's he's got the last joke at the end of the episode, and it's perfect. Yep. And I and and I wish we saw more of him. Yeah. Where this episode is populated by the kids, there's at least one true adult here. Maybe the general, General Ularin. But if we're looking for who's the senior wise character uh, to look to for kind of that grounded strength. It's this guy, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is that guy in, in literature, Daniel? The seasoned warrior. Pops up all over the place, yeah? I can't think of which musketeer to compare him to out of the three, but but in the sense of, like, you know, Anakin is D'Artagnan, this young, impulsive kid who gets brought into... Who gets brought into... He's Athos. You know, he could be that character. Clearly, he could... I mean, he's a Cyrano. Like, those types of older, distinguished characters that they are they are warriors they are generals they are leaders he's he yep. is he is um now don quixote is a bad example because he's not crazy but like he he's he's any of those characters that, that yeah they're they're all throughout all of literature and film I suppose it's the case in new hope what's going to happen is the young kids are going to go off and the older statesman's going to go off in the death star the older statesman's gonna shut down the uh tractor beam the young kids are gonna Whatever they're doing, what are they doing? Oh, they're saving the princess. <laughs> avoid any more female advice. We ought to be able to get out of here. Well, let's get moving. Well, it's and it's we we've talked about war several times in this already. It is the unfortunate thing of war. Older men stand at banks of computers and order young men into battle. Like that's that's what this is, unfortunately. Although this character is on the front lines. That's true. Right? That's true. That may give us a hint into who this person is, that they're not willing to just push buttons behind a desk somewhere. One fun fact about this character, and I really want your reactions on this, is that because of his uh, race, his, 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 his people are going extinct. And so he not only is a Jedi who has a wife, he has multiple wives because they're trying to repopulate this um, species and it's not really known in this episode but let's talk about Jedi double standards that are going to begin to sneak into their this this wonderful stoic philosophy that applies to everybody else except for when I need to get my thing done 
perhaps. You know what I mean there? Well, two wives, so there's your double standard, right? Hey-o. I guess. But uh, no, uh, he's got five, five wives. Five wives? Oh yeah, five wives. Did you look jeez, it up? Jeez. That was something that I did not know before you mentioned that. Like the two hearts that we're we're piecing together this character from the random bits of knowledge, right? Because because this was the character that stood out to me in this episode of like God, I wish I wish he had more screen time. I spent twenty five minutes just reading stuff about him, and and he is the and I can't remember the the race of alien that he is, but um, in general they are a low breeding species of alien. So every like, but but he was kind of deemed to be exceptional in his skill, in his in his talent, in his whatever. So he was kind of chosen. It's like, all right, you get to be one of our. Essentially, you get to be one of our breeders, and as such, he just he he chose to have these five wives, and I think he had like, I think they said seven daughters or some or something like that. So I mean, he's that's truly an interesting character. One last thing in terms of going back to the idea of he's not content to be behind a desk pushing buttons is we will have seen episode three and we'll have seen order 66 and he is leading clones into battle he is in front and he gets shot from behind Mm -hmm. and so dave filoni loves doing this throughout uh, the clone war series where it's he's establishing all the relationships and making us care about the clones and their relationship to the Jedi so that when we actually do watch episode three, which may be part of the binge, (laughs) we are actually going to be emotionally moved by that where, you know, when we, when we, when we saw episode three in the theaters, I assume both of you all did. We don't care about those relationships. They haven't spent any time on them here, but that's one of the reasons the clone wars is so valuable in setting up the rest of the universe. I think John Williams is more responsible for any of the, anything that you felt in that kind of climax there in the third movie. Right. But, but yeah, cause you, you don't really know and you don't see the battle. Uh, but yeah, the, the Jedi as generals and their relationships that they have to the trooper, to the clones, uh, is really interesting to see as well. Uh, just all those really, so yeah, it, it builds upon that. You can rewatch that scene, uh, and, and imagine these people's, uh, you know, friends, essentially, some of them by, the, by that point. That's what's happening is, yep. is their friends, these people that they led fearlessly. I mean, it's the ultimate betrayal. Uh, uh, but, yeah, so it's definitely definitely cool to see it fleshed out. We may see more of that in this episode. So Anakin comes into uh, the room. You're late. Sorry, Master. Ahsoka and I were busy routing the Sepis near Doran. My squadron alone had 55 kills. Yeah, but mine had 76. Show off. Quick reminder to us all that this is a show for kids. You know, got some banter that's kind of childish. But this is also a 15-year-old who's boasting about how many kills she had. It's very Gimli and Legolas in Lord of the Rings. And so I, I think in the same way, it's really meant to show more of the the kinship and the relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka. So it's, it's also, we, we've talked about it a couple times. It's also Arya Stark and the Hound, the, the discussion of like, I want to kill these people. This is how I'm going to kill these people. This is how many people. And he's like, you're going to kill that many people. Well, I, you know, just that he's clearly a bad guy, but he's got some very redeeming qualities. Uh, and he's very charismatic, and and then he he is sort of influencing this young. I mean, she's eight, right? When she meets, isn't she Arya? When she meets the house, yeah. I mean, she's real young, right? Again, like these are this is good storytelling, and these are good characters, as as infuriating as it might be. <laughs> 
I think there's going to be a lot of Lord of the Rings going on in this episode, which we can we can point out as we we roll. I think Anakin goes down to maturity when talking to Ahsoka, but genuinely rises when talking to Obi-Wan, but certainly when talking to Mundy. He puts on a very professional outward appearance. But here it's just childish banter. Well, I'm glad you two are enjoying yourselves. Hey, it's just a little friendly competition, Master. Nothing to worry about. What I worry about is the way this war seems to be drawing out with no end in sight. Now, I've heard in American war history, there's a word for this. And the word is quagmire. (laughs) And it's right here at the beginning. He is telling us that he knows this may not be a good place for us to be. He is uneasy about it. The uneasiness about the war is something that will build throughout the Clone Wars. And it's never fully resolved, but it seems like all the Jedi tend to think, why are we fighting here? Is this really, is this really what we should be doing? Well, and it's, clear, it's clearly the notion of company man, party line, all of that stuff, right? The, the older men in the room saying, no, 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 you're right. This is a mindless war, which is why it's so important that we succeed right now. Because if we do that, I mean, we could probably end this war. War is bad, right? I mean, come on. Don't you want to be done? It's exactly Monday's next line. Which is why it is crucial our invasion of Genosis meets with success. Agreed. Ahsoka, contact the Outer Rim Command. We're ready for our briefing. Geonosis ends up being an interesting planet. And for me, I'm a Star Wars fan, but locations just blend. And they're difficult to kind of get your head around. So it's worth just taking two seconds and saying, all right, what the hell? What is this planet about? <laughs> Geonosis. It's the termite planet. And not to, not to be too... <laughs> Not to be too controversial here, but it's a desert planet, and they just were talking about wars with no end in sight. Now, you can talk about World War II and Vietnam, but this is being created in the, you know, in the late 2000s, and talking about endless wars might be a, have been a topic for, for some of these guys. Operation Genosis Freedom? That could be. It, this is a very important planet in Star Wars. Obi-Wan and Anakin are returning to the planet where the Clone Wars began. The arena battle is clearly fought here in Attack of the Clones. This episode shows what they call the Second Battle of Geonosis. So get in mind that the Jedi, Obi-Wan and Anakin, have returned to shut down the factories that we see in Attack of the Clones where they're creating all these Separatist battle droids. What's interesting is... It's not going to fully work. They're not going to win this battle on this planet. And this planet will continue to manufacture battle droids, but it will actually, in Star Wars canon, manufacture something else. And that is the Death Star. All of the materials for the Death Star are going to be extracted from this planet. Um, And it's first going to be assembled over Geonosis, and then it's going to get moved to Scarif. But after the Death Star was moved... Grand Moff Tarkin is going to order the elimination of all the bug-like creatures, which becomes real interesting. It's like I'm, they end up using the Geonosians for this project, and then they wipe them out like fascists do. And, and there's a great set of episodes in Rebels in the third season, which, are, which is called The Ghost of Geonosis and that whole arc, in which we get to see those characters, and actually they put uh, 
a heart to them. They have manufactured the battle droids, they have built the Death Star, and then the Empire turns on them and destroys all of them except for just a few. Uh, you know, I mean, it's kind of offshore production, right? I mean, there's kind of parallels to that. And it's your your labor force, but uh, ultimately your, your expendable labor force. So I think it, it's kind of interesting that they're super alien compared to all the Jedi and the clones, even because I think it kind of helps you just make that little kind of simple disconnect. Um, but yeah, when it does all come together in the end with that episode of Rebels and, and you do see what happened, at first they're just kind of these whatever bugs, they're the enemy, you know, knock them down, count up your kills, uh, whatever. But then once you get through through that whole arc, you kind of connect with these as just obviously this race that kind of did what they had to do and, and taking on this work that, uh, you know, was sent to them and making these things just to, to try to survive. Um, so I thought it was just kind of interesting them being super alien uh, and just kind of being that offshore, you know, you're, you're everything, the labor force, the the scapegoat. Um, so I just thought that was kind of interesting. Again, talking about all this happening in the early 2000s and, and perhaps seeing real life parallels in them, it is the idea that whatever empire is in charge can go into another country that has a resource that they want. Yeah. And that's what they're there for. I can go in here and I can strip out all of the resources, whatever it is, yep. uh, whatever it might be and however useful it might be to that country. And, and those people are just a means to an end, the deliverers of a product. Um, and then once you're gone, once, once, that's, once that's done, you have no use for them. You know, Peace was never the objective. Getting what we needed was. Superpower, extracting resources from a desert world. Where do we yeah. see this? Nowhere I've ever thought of. The creators are doing this intentionally, and it's worth talking about. And their ideas might be right or wrong, but it's the but it's clearly there if you t if you want to pause and look. Episode cuts to a room with maps and hologram images. Our ships are in position, and we are ready to begin our campaign against the Genosians. Windu, who's a hologram. And what about Pop? Any report on his location? It seems he's holed up at the primary droid foundry here. The factory is protected by a shield generator. Anakin, Kiadi, and I shall attempt a three-pronged attack through their defense lines to a staging area just short of the shield. Once we have landed, we shall knock out the shield generator. That is our primary target. Can you think of any other Star Wars in which there's a, a crew that's descending to a planet to destroy a shield generator? Two of them. It was it's Return of the Jedi and it's Rogue One. Oh, that's not what I was thinking at all. Tell me what comes to mind for you. I have a different one in mind. That was the same for me, actually. Yeah. The shield generator in Rogue One is the one that's protecting the planet. Yeah. And then for Return of the Jedi, it is what? It's it's on the moon. The the on the moon of Endor. They they've got to blow up that um, shield generator. Oh, I guess that's true. Oh, I didn't think about that. All right, good. But I guess you're right. It's a New Hope, is what you're thinking of. No, I'm thinking of Empire. It looks to me to be exactly the same. You have the Imperial Starfleet is coming out of hyperspace. They descend to Hoth, and their only ambition for, for the AT-ATs is to destroy the shield generator. Distance to power generators. One seven decimal. That's right. So apparently this is real common in Star Wars. <laughs> the Death Star does have a strong defense mechanism. It is protected by an energy shield, which is generated from the nearby forest moon of Endor. The shield must be deactivated if any attack is to be attempted. In the hologram are Windu, Palpatine, and Yoda. Palpatine 
um, says, isn't it risky committing three generals to one area of the attack? Something went wrong. We could be dealt a serious blow. Yoda says to ensure that Rise Again Geonosis does not. I need to get my Yoda on. I was like, I, uh, there's a typo. Oh, no, it's it's this character. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> to ensure that Rise Again Geonosis does not capture Paco, we must. Of course. As always, I shall leave the strategy to you, Master General. I have a handful of questions for you all on this. Palpatine is clearly setting up three generals to be killed here. Yeah? Mm. Oh, yeah. We're going to find out later that, that the Geonosians knew their plans. Anakin is one of the generals. At this point in time in the Clone Wars, does Palpatine not have plans for Anakin? Is he is he just like, nah, I'm, I'm killing as many of these Jedi leaders as I want? Plans for Anakin in the sense that he thinks he's expendable or plans for him that he thinks he can use him as a puppet? He is planning to wipe out the Jedi and take Anakin as his, what's the second in command for a Sith? Apprentice. Yeah, his apprentice, sorry. That's an interesting question because I think um, Palpatine always has like nine irons in the fire, right? I mean, at this point too, with the, the Clone Wars, he's got Grievous, he's got Dooku. He has admiration for Anakin, but only to a point, right? To the point that, uh, someone truly evil like that could actually admire somebody other than himself. So it, it, I, I wonder with that context, it's like maybe it's kind of like a test, right? Of, well, you know, I, I'm hoping, I'm assuming that this kind of star pupil of mine that I would like would survive, but if he doesn't, then he's not worthy anyways, right? So I think I like that. You, you can't have him truly fawning over Anakin in a way that would be just out of character for anybody but himself. Based only on this episode and, and, and the way he the way he looks and the way the writing communicates, I disagree. I think at this stage of the game, Anakin is still expendable because he has got these other people. And I don't think he's I don't think he's at that point yet. Could be at the end of this episode or or again I'm and again I'm not as familiar with the arc of the Clone Wars as, as you both are, but it's, it seems to me like it's it's Anakin is still thrown in with Obi-Wan at this point. So it's like, man, if I can kill three birds with one stone, rock and roll. I like this. I like both those angles. I think they can both be true. The idea that this might be a test. Um, no, you have to choose one of us, Jeff. <laughs> it might be the case that Anakin dies here. Palpatine wins. It might be the case that Anakin survives here. Palpatine wins. The I like the idea of the nine irons in the fire because he's he can he can adjust he can react to uh, however the the hand gets played out and he has options. It's playing multiple slot machines. You're gonna win. With, you're gonna win with one of them. You know what I mean? That's that's that's. Obi-Wan says, our thanks, Chancellor. And Wendy says, may the force be with you. And Mace is standing next to Palpatine. They, they're they just buddies. They're united. N- nothing could go wrong with those two. <laughs> well, that's just politics. You're always standing next to the guy that ends up being awful. That's just the way it always happens. And, until you get thrown out a window. <laughs> Obi-Wan looks over to one of the clones. Good. Cody, these are the coordinates for the rendezvous. Yes, sir. When we hit the ground, we'll create a perimeter there. Getting past their defenses here will be the trick. General Mundi will come across the defensive lines from the north. We will make our assault through the middle. General Skywalker will make his attack on the defensive lines from the south. And we'll meet at the rendezvous point at 0700 exactly. 
Guess what doesn't happen at 7 o'clock exactly in this episode? The plan. Mundy says if, if we meet with strong resistance and are forced down away from the landing zone, hold out until we join our forces before attacking the shield generator. Which is what's going to happen. Their front lines are heavily fortified. Look at that giant wall with all the gun emplacements. That won't be easy to get past. That might come up again. Don't worry. We're not going anywhere near that. Come now. What happened to all the enthusiasm I saw earlier? Don't worry about us. You just make sure you get yourself to that landing zone in one piece. Yes. I shall be waiting for you when you finally arrive. Gentlemen, if you are quite finished, we have a battle to begin. Quite right. Cody, prep the gunships. I'll meet you in the hangar. Yes, sir. So, meeting here at 7. Check. Not going near the wall. Check. Get yourself to the landing zone. Check. That's how this episode starts. The best laid plans. <laughs> That's right. One of my favorite quotes is from Mike Tyson. Wisdom and profound insight says everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so true, Iron Mike. Jedi Master Andali is introduced at this point for our binge. Uh, so we see her in a hologram form, and she says, and we're going to talk about this character a lot in the next episode. Um, cut to a beautiful shot of the Y wings descending toward the planet. This is actually quite spectacular. I'm gonna, I may boast about this a handful of times. Daniel will be familiar with mm -hmm. this, but I have a projector in my basement. True, and it throws huge, and the detail in this scene is incredible. That's my real thought about this. The animation in the show is gorgeous. Like, mm. and, and, and the, the way the ships look, this scene is beautiful. But to see ships that I think probably existed originally only because they look cool, have some use and some, some worth, is, is killer. One of the real talents of Dave Filoni is taking something and making it better, which he does just over and over and over again and when we get to Mandalorian stuff and he's pulling out the IG88 which is a which is a bunch of pipes with you know <laughs> with eyeballs strapped to it in Empire Strikes Back and making that character out of out of scraps into something incredible I must self destruct do not self destruct it's just it's one of the true treasures for Star Wars fans is is that so that that you know the Star Wars gods place this person um, in the position that he is because he's taking a, a wonderful universe, but just bringing such gorgeous beauties out of the details there. There, also being smart enough to infuse that character with the voice of Taika Waititi doesn't doesn't hurt. It's likewise the case as the Y-Wings are descending that we get the full Kevin Kiner score, who I bet if I were to say Kevin Kiner to most people, you'd be like, I don't know who this is, but is the musician behind all of the stuff in Clone Wars and in Rebels and is just a fantastic steward of the material. Uh, knows how to use themes, knows how to bring up common elements, and, and right here he's just uh, creating a backdrop. And it's this scene for me, as the gunships are coming in. The gunships are kind of these, you know, they're the Vietnam helicopters of the Clone Wars. This is what sold me on Star Wars. The, the sound effects here, the clones all uh, bunkered down in these gunships, in these helicopter-like spaceships, and they are 
terrified that they might get shot out of the air for the most part. And those those gunships are going to be central to, to much of the action that takes place in the Clone Wars. But do you guys have thoughts on, on either music, sound effects, or uh, on the gunships? That's actually um, the first note that I wrote down watching this episode. Uh, the, the, the way they did the theme right before the announcer, it, it sounded like Star Wars. It had a very Star Wars-y opening theme but but I, I felt there was a, a sort of a driving marching pulling uh, force no uh, honest to God no pun intended but there, but there is a marching driving pulling you forward into battle yep yep which I which not uh, I feel horrible saying this because John Williams is a Titan but but I feel like there are moments where that is missing in some of the other Star Wars scoring like mm. you don't always get this like this is about a war and you need to feel like you're dropped in the middle of a war so from this pulling score you get that narration that feels like that 1930s radio teletype that says we're we're a nation at war and and it's it's the music that does that first and it's it's absolutely phenomenal John Williams has a lot of heroic epic going on yeah, but Kiner is hitting the battle. Yeah, there's a lot more drums. There's a lot more of yeah that pulsating. They uh, feel like marches. It's that kind of yeah. There it is. I think one interesting thing about it too is like when you're watching Clone Wars and and watching Rebels, it does just feel like Star Wars, and you don't think about it as much. Yeah, it just felt like he picked it up and kind of fleshed it out in the same fleshed out the the things that John Williams was able to make iconic and hit upon it's just kind of picking it up and running with it and i guess the same way that the clone wars kind of picks up with and runs with uh, the the prequel world so it's just kind of this natural fleshing out of of what you feel like is star wars music even though it's different cut to anakin and rex talking and they they launch and then we see admiral yularen who is speaking to monday and he says good luck general there is no such thing as luck which we have heard elsewhere that didn't work for me. Just, uh, just on, on, uh, on, just uh, to be mildly critical, like that. That do it. It felt out of place, and it felt a little too winky to be like, "Hey, remember when Obi Wan said in the first movie, there's no such thing as luck? We've brought it back.'" And it just, it, it doesn't feel of that character. It feels like an Obi Wan comment, and it just, it didn't work as well for me. I want to talk about this actually throughout because luck gets mentioned two other times in the episode. And it's, again, a Tolkien throwback, because of all things, Tolkien uses the word luck all over the place. And we'll, we'll hit it here, but I did want to make the note that this is clearly a, 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 you know, a, a throwback to, to New Hope. Another character introduction here for us, though, is Yularen, whose voice is very similar to the narrators at the beginning of The Clone Wars. Apparently, he is not the narrator, although the voice is identical. Apparently, the narrator is, is just the narrator. This character, however, Yularen, will eventually transition over to the Empire after Order 66. He is an, uh, an admiral in Rebels, and he is seated at the table at the beginning of New Hope when Vader walks into the room, force chokes a guy. I find your lack of faith disturbing. He's, he's in that setting, and of course he's, he's going to die when the Death Star is blown up. So, fun fact. Huh. That's what's kind of interesting to see too. Is even seeing the the ships, and then seeing 
uh, the generals and, and yeah, the people in the environment that you know, you're used to seeing them in such a different context that it's kind of a weird thing for your brain to do to kind of see see those generals and oh, they're the good guys now. Hard switch to flip in your brain, I think, just because it's so programmed. Uh, it's one of the great elements of Star Wars. A lot of the foundation of the Rebel Alliance is going to be the Separatists. The character in Rogue One, whose name is escaping me, uh, Cassian Andor, is a Separatist and has got mm -hmm. into this battle when he was, what does he say? I've been in this fight since I was six years old. I got into this battle when I was six years old, you know, whatever. He's yeah. been fighting for the yeah. Separatists this whole time, and now he is part of the seedbed of what's going to become the Rebels. On the flip side, your Lauren is moving from Republic to Empire. I think it, I think the interesting thing about that is is I think we movies have kind of taught us to paint these types of characters as all of them being really, really, really evil. And, and and you see it in moments like, uh, in, in a comedic moment in another film, in the life of Brian, Monty Python's film, you see, mm -hmm. a, you see a Roman soldier that's just very much doing his job. Like, he's, he's in charge of assigning people to where they go when they're being crucified. Great, thank you. Out of the door, line on the left, one cross each. Crucifixion? <laughs> uh, no, freedom. What? Uh, freedom for me. They said I hadn't done anything so I could go free and live on an island somewhere. Oh. Because he's be, because he's just got a job to do, yeah, man. I just come to work. I just punch a time clock, and I'm just I'm just doing the job of whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's what I feel like this character is. He he's not Grand Moff. He's not Darth Vader, and he's not Grand Moff Tarkin. He just has a job. That just feels more like real life and and real war, to me. That'll be worth discussing, especially if we're on the same page and we say that Obi Wan is that guy. If Obi Wan's just a company man, yeah. is he going to have to have? moments in his journey where he really decides no this is the right thing to do and of course one of the great things about obi-wan's character is that he does make that decision he essentially forfeits his life and decides to man you know the most important post in the galaxy by himself on a desert planet watching a little kid yeah and mm -hmm. there is something about saying, I was a company man, I just did all the right things, and then discovering this is where the future lies, and I'm actually fully invested in this idea, and it's not just these people told me what to do. W would that also be redemption? Like, we're talking about Vader being redeemed at the end of it, but but if, if, if you go with the idea that Obi-Wan's always been a company man that's maybe never done much of anything that's brave, or maybe he betrayed Anakin, maybe what maybe there's some mm. du dutiful sense of watching over Luke because yeah. of that. Is that indeed redemption in and of itself? I will oversee this mission. I will, I will be the one who watches him. I will take them here, and I will be the one to sacrifice myself so I have finally done something redemptive. I, I would I don't know I think it I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily I feel like it's further evidence of his commitment to the Jedi Order because it's a truly selfless act right giving up your whole life so uh, so I think it's it's not like a, a redemption of being a company man I feel like it's it's kind of his um, it shows just his unfailing. Uh, commitment to the Jedi way and how he is a true Jedi because he does this selfless thing with his entire life. You you don't think there's not a, a sense of, of guilt or like a redemptive sense of guilt for, for what happened between him and Anakin? Like you don't think there's maybe a part of part of it that is a little bit like, 
I, I screwed this up, so therefore if I do this, there will be a redemptive, there is a redemption of sorts there. My dedication, sure, my sure. dedication to this thing hurt my friend. Uh, therefore I will do this and be absolved of that uh, guilt or shame, whether it's real or self-imposed. No, I can see that. I feel like Obi-Wan is one of those characters, uh, uh, like still waters run deep, right? Uh, so it's this, it's this company man that's kind of unfailing, but he is still a human, and you get some hints of that. But I, I could totally see that because uh, he, he does have that um, you know brotherly relationship to, to Anakin. So there, there's a lot of emotion under the surface under there for sure. I read that as exactly where Daniel is going, that even if he did a lot of things correctly— I bet you he thinks he could have done better by his brother who he loved. And the mm-hmm. best that he can do is kind of a penance. And it's almost a taking the pain, taking pains on himself as well. You know, my brother uh, was burned and has lost most of his body. I will take this position in service to the brother that I lost in watching his kid. And that's, uh, what a beautiful, especially after what we what we will see happens in Kenobi's personal life. This, is, you know, Luke is in some ways an adopted child from a distance. We're going to find out much more here at the time of this recording. The Disney Plus Kenobi series has not been released. It's probably well, it's in pre production right now. But I imagine that it will probably be part of the binge if 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 they're if they're going to delve deeper into the Kenobi Anakin relationship post Episode Three. I think all the things that we're talking about, this might be there, that might be that. That's what I'm hoping we see is that conflict because you know he was conflicted about it and was dutiful, but probably slightly remorseful as well. So that's definitely what I'm interested in in seeing and exploring in that character. Well, and if we're talking about if we're talking about the Force and Jedi as as a philosophy, as a religion, that I that that pairing it with that idea of of a penitent monastic sort of existence, that's perf. That's that's all in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good word. All right. Well, we cut to gunships who are the, they're flying downward. A clone says. Good thing those bugs can't aim. And we all know that the bad guys in Star Wars can't aim. And then his ship blows up. <laughs> I love that they set up the viewer to to just laugh alongside the clones. But then there is there are real stakes here, and this happens frequently throughout the Clone Wars that a lot of the clones die, and we actually care about these people. We've got some some Saving Private Ryan for kids going on as we're watching people who. We, we see their faces or hear their voices, kind of maybe even know their names, who, even though it's cartoon violence, for sure, we're confronted with death all the time. And obviously, the entire end of the Clone Wars is going to have Ahsoka staring at a field of, of helmets. Yeah, the clone development and depth, you can see how some of the clones have started to individualize their armor. Yeah. Uh, and we see some of the different divisions of clones within this which i feel like in the movies we didn't really get until until rogue one with the purge troopers and the the shore troopers and all that eventually realizing the the uh, individuality of all of those people and that's that's earned mm-hmm. it also feels very uh, to go back to paralleling war films 
And that feels very full metal jacket. You see, you see march, you pl- platoons of soldiers walking about, but they've individualized their helmets. They've got, you know, they've got slogans painted on them. Mm. Some people have stuck artwork into them. The idea of we are in the military, specifically, these guys are clones, right? They could not be more uniform, yet they're starting to personalize their fatigues. Born to kill. They decided to start the entire. Uh, series with an episode called Ambush, which we will eventually binge. Um, And that's a primary for the very first episode is talking about how all the clones are unique. Fantastic scene with Yoda and three, three other clones and talking about their individuality, even though they all share the same face. There's also just, uh, I, I felt like this episode in general has some fun clone trooper moments like the the moment yeah. when they're saying why do we always get the fun missions oh this isn't even the fun part <laughs> is a is i wrote that i wrote it down in my note like that's a great it's funny and it's just this really great character moment where you're like oh yeah, yeah. there's some personality we've never seen in any of the other films such a thing for a foot soldier to say too you know i'm just the grunt yeah you know the the higher ups don't care about me and yet making light of it cuz that's how you survive in war Right, yeah, the the good thing these bugs can't aim, and then this moment too. It's just like, yeah, it's it's the it's. I'm a. I don't want to say that's how soldiers talk because I don't have a damn clue. But from every movie I've ever seen, <laughs> it feels accurate. Cut to Monday. The flak is too heavy. We're down. Repeat down. Location five. I just lost contact with Skywalker's team. Come on, get up! We have to keep moving! So you hear clones there screaming all around. And there begins to be a new element in this cartoon, which is Fog of War. And they do this really well in terms of giving you just this unsettled, I know there's action going on, and here are the characters I care about, and people around them are dying, and I kind of have a sense of where they are. They're supposed to apparently all land at the same point, but but they're not getting there. And so there's that unease that, that kicks in. So we know that Anakin is down. Monday is commanding others to get tanks on the ground immediately. We hear Cody yelling, General Kenobi, don't land. The zone is too hot. Obi-Wan yells back, but there's nowhere else to go. And there's a huge explosion. Fantastic cut in directing where the the camera zooms right up into Obi-Wan's face and he yells, Ah! Brace yourselves! Great combat tension all around in these scenes. Any thoughts here? It, It made me feel anxious. The same way that the movie Dunkirk made me feel angry. I mean, not to the extreme, obviously, that Dunkirk did, but like you, you're no, you know something is supposed to be happening, and you mm-hmm. also know you also know a bad thing is about to happen, and you're just waiting for it. So I just felt like, okay, here we go. One thing I think they do very well is is that actual conflict. Uh, I mean, even though you have Jedi leading all the the troops, there there's still. Uh, you know, there's there's still genuine tension there, and and I think um, that was one of the things that kind of got me into the Clone Wars at first. Anyways, was just seeing I saw the action first because uh, a friend of mine was watching it, and so that really sucked me in. So it, it's that that really nice constant tension, uh, and I think they do a really good job of, of having some some genuine stakes here. So all, all the action is is really awesome. Obi Wan's gunship crashes. There's dead clones everywhere. 
Um, apparently nobody's meeting at seven and everyone is not getting to the landing zone. It cuts to Monday. Um, and he also has experienced casualties cause he turns to his second in command and says, what are our losses, captain? And the clone says, we got hit pretty hard. I think only Kenobi's forces made it through the flak to the landing zone. Which we didn't. What about Skywalker? Captain Rex reported they're still in the middle of a firefight. Skywalker's tanks are gone, and they're trying to contact General Kenobi's forces for support. In the meantime, they'll press on to the rendezvous point. Very well. Load the engine onto the tanks. We'll make for that breach. With any luck, we can meet up with Skywalker on his way to Kenobi's position. With any luck, we're going to meet up with Skywalker. So apparently now... Maybe, maybe he's willing to hope for some luck, because this is going a lot worse than we thought, and, and I guess I'm willing to believe in something. I had mentioned Tolkien and luck earlier, but for Tolkien, Tolkien uses the, the word luck routinely to, to say, here's providence at work, or you know, here's the hand of God in the, in the Middle Earth universe. Um, and I, I don't think that there's any reason not to think that they're, they're borrowing a lot from Tolkien and, and intentionally using this concept in terms of the forces al- aligning to, to help those who are fighting for, I assume in this episode, for good things. Totally. <laughs> Cut to Skywalker's squad. Okay, Cody. I'll speak with General Skywalker. Rex, what's the word? Kenobi wants to send support or not? I don't think so, sir. Cody says General Kenobi never reached the landing site. They think his gunship got shot down. Great. The one time I actually asked Obi-Wan for help is nowhere to be found. That's just like him to die when I need his help. (laughs) (laughs) So again, spinning things positive here, it's clearly not Obi-Wan's fault. I think they're seeking to showcase how emotional Anakin is in response to events. And that sometimes there's just no reason that's taking place in his brain. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I should say my, my complaints about Anakin are not from like a structural standpoint. It's a very in-character moment. Like he, Anakin is consistent fr- from, from beginning to end of this episode. Yep. As a person watching it who likes the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi more than Anakin Skywalker, it's like, man, this is somebody you're supposed to care about who could be dead. Get over yourself. Well, I think we do see that, though, in the next line, right? Because Ahsoka's like, well, what if something happened to him, right? He could be uh, injured. He's like, well, no time for that kind of time. Like, no, I'm not even going to think about that. And so, yeah, you do see all that emotion coming through. But again, one of his attachments is being highlighted here. Right. Well, yeah, because he's because he says I'm worried about him, too. But it's like part of me is like, really? Because you just turned on him very quickly. <laughs> Showcases Ahsoka's loyalty to Kenobi in being defensive. 100%. And it showcases that that Anakin is highly emotional. And and even when. He then flips. Hey, I'm worried about him too, but you have to keep your mind in the here and now. Otherwise, we'll never be able to help Obi-Wan. That's not coming out of a place of reason either, necessarily. It's now I need to move all of my energies from my frustration into, you know, the teacher role. Well, and that's uh, the, the thing about her. I, that, that was one of my other notes that I wrote down, too. Ahsoka is a teenager, and she is displaying more heart, compassion, but also fear that one of their comrades mm. and one of their friends has potentially fallen in battle. This child character is showing a greater emotional depth and maturity, and, and, 
and that's what makes her such a compelling character. There's a on the DVD they have some uh, some making ofs, and one of the things that Filoni says about these uh, scenes is that he really wanted to create an episode that showed the Jedi being vulnerable, and that they could get injured, and that they could experience fear, and that they could experience. They they aren't just superhero space wizards who who never have right. any issues. That's why that's why Batman's a better character than Superman. Batman gets beat up. Exactly right. Cut to Cody giving instructions to two clones. Boy, reporting is ordered, sir. Wax, the reporting is ordered, sir. We've got a down gunship, five clicks east. We believe it's General Kenobi's. I need you to get out there and check for survivors. Sir, sir, yes, yes, sir. sir. Uh, again, we might mention that there's a lot of references to the future here. Cody is the one who is tasked was saving Obi-Wan Kenobi. And if we were to watch episode three, it is Cody who shoots uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi after Order 66, or at least he's firing on Kenobi and Kenobi falls into the water. Which is such a Cody thing to do. That just sounds such. like... <laughs> I do like... all. You've got all of these great names, Palpatine, Obi-Wan, <laughs> Ahsoka, and then here's Cody. Only slightly worse is trooper trevor he didn't even show up he fell asleep was late didn't even get on the ship well this is this was your your line that you liked Daniel. why do we always get the fun missions oh this isn't the fun part getting back to the square is the fun part that's actually trevor and obi-wan says waxer boil am i glad to see you trapper and i are the only ones still alive good to see you sir and it's just a heavy word Obi-Wan is clearly beat up. He's he's injured. He's all cut up. He knows these clones by name. And it's just a gorgeous shot in, in a very hard situation of the, the clones opening the doors and lifting up Kenobi. Yeah, these Jedi, uh, you know, they're, they're not just these uh, mindless, task-driven uh, leaders. They know all the clones, uh, by name, they've really gotten to know them. There's kind of a friendship with them, so so I like that little detail as well. Is like, look, they really knew these guys, and they were all different people to them. Which is, I feel like, if you didn't have that relationship uh, of seeing the, the Jedi interact with them, you get some personality development outside of that for sure. But I feel like that's just another humanizing element for the clones, and and humanizing for. Or I guess a little bit of a defense for why the Jedi were were chosen to kind of lead them yep. as generals because they do care about all these people as individuals and they're not just uh, expendable forces. Cody sees Obi Wan. Are you injured, General? Uh, no, nothing too serious. What's the situation here? <sighs> We've got no air cover. Two generals on the ground beyond our position. It's Skywalker and Mundy. Bucks surrounding us. The enemy was more than prepared for our attacks, sir. They knew our every move. They knew our every move. Well, how'd they get that information? It's almost like they have someone <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> they're just subtle enough at times. And obviously they're in the... Fo- it's not like anybody's saying, well, let's pause for a minute and really think about who is it that double-crossed us? So they, sh- they should know. So there is a frustration to the idea that, like, you've got the force. How the hell are you not able to perceive that this guy is bad news? It's the case that the dark side can mask things. Isn't that a big element? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, and they even talk about that in the prequels. Master Yoda, do you think it will really come to war? Mm, the dark side clouds everything. Impossible to see. The future is. 
Well, and it's kind of interesting, actually, but on Coruscant, the Jedi Temple is actually built on top of a Sith Temple uh, uh, beneath it. So that, that has been uh, kind of noted as a potential contribution to the clouding, uh, to the clouding and the devastation of the Jedi Order. Um, but it's also interesting that uh, that point kind of calls back to Palpatine's line at the very beginning of the episode, which is, you know, he says, uh, as always, I'll leave the strategy to you, Master Jedi, which really he's the one with the, the master strategy here and, and the master play at work. Yeah, he's the master manipulator. Cut to the battle above the planet. Yularen says, Negative, Captain. We will be unable to provide any air support at this time. Very curt, very bureaucratic. The clone on the ground... <laughs> says i understand that sir but we have three attack forces on the ground and only one at the landing zone this is a planetary-wide invasion captain if i divert resources to your position it will mean sacrificing other areas of the campaign all we can do at this time is help you find general skywalker all right sir i'll report to the general commander jet out give me every fighter you can scrape up he's the voice on the on the phone when you get in customer service being quite britishly polite and you're just like, I'm gonna die here. This was, this was the moment in the in this episode where I where I, where I realized the point that I made earlier, that if you want to compare it to war films or elements of war, this is D-Day. Yeah, it's the guys saying you're supposed to come and get us. Yep. we're at where you needed to come and get us. It's Kenneth Branagh standing on the bridge, being like, "Well, I was told that the." we would be picked up at this time. But even he knows that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. I think that's great in terms of storytelling, not in terms of like, that would suck to have that happen, obviously. Yolarn's going to pull things out at the end. But here, I get the sense that you're on the side of the clones, and this is, you know, a guy who's dressed like an Imperial officer. And you're like, well, that guy's not trustworthy. He's clearly setting you up to get killed on the planet. But then Yularen turns and he says, give me every fire you can scrape up. So he's like trying to help. And then he says, have you located General Skywalker's position yet? And the clone next to him says, we think he's somewhere along the eastern barrier. And Yularen says, that's not a barrier. It's a fortress. Another Star Wars called back. That's no moon. Yeah. Another wink for Daniel to hate. I didn't actually notice that, so I had no problem with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But we cut to Skywalker's forces approaching the fortress. They are suddenly ambushed from above, and Ahsoka says, Well, this is another fine mess you've gotten us into. Which is, I don't know if this is intentional. I heard that as an homage to Laurel and Hardy. Yep. Because every single old Laurel and Hardy film ends with... Uh, Hardy turning to Laurel and saying, "Well, that's another fine mess you've gotten us into." I think that's entirely right. I think that they're. I love. I that. think they're intentionally trying to say this is the comic relief of the episode. Yeah. In the next episode, Anakin and Ahsoka will not be the comic relief. There, there will be a lot of drama. But here, counting, doing the body count jokes and and doing Laurel Hardy here and in the banter of teenagers, it's it's meant to be. It's funny in the midst of of a very tension-filled battle episode. Anakin says, What? Hey, it's not my fault. You were supposed to study the holomaps. I did! Remember when I reminded you about the giant wall and you said, Don't worry, we won't be anywhere near that. Just get ready to climb. Is Anakin the kind of guy you want to follow into battle? No. <laughs> what, do you, what do you say, Josiah? 
I say yes because you'll follow him and and he'll just do it all. So yeah, I I say yes, but also is, no. Do I really want to? No, but I will follow for sure. There's some Indiana Jones going on. I knew you were with say with that. some Anakin Skywalker, and it's like I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. There may be some of that element to the characters that, that Lucas cre- creates. Here's the thing, though. Uh, Indiana Jones is not a general. He's a he's a history. Sure. Pro- he's an architectural professor who is who is placed in positions where people are deferring to him, and he doesn't want it. So Indiana Jones being like, "Look, I don't have a plan. I'm just putting it together as we go along." Is fine. He's not a. It's not general Indiana. Yes. So one of the severe drawbacks of uh, Episode Nine would go along these same roads that you are you're picking out the young handsome guys and giving them oversight of all of your military and they do not have the maturity to handle this. <laughs> like, nobody thinks that Finn should be in charge of this assault, <laughs> you know, etc. Uh, and that may be what's going on here. It's like, oh, he's the, well, and this is how, how American culture is this, that he's the guy who can throw the ball the farthest. Clearly, he will be the leader of our football team. We're, we're not asking if he's wise, mature, has goodness of heart, is intelligent. It's like, no, throw the football. <laughs> is that, that, that may be uh, some of the, the mistake going on here. And clearly, Anakin's immaturity is going to be a huge part of episode three Mm -hmm. but that is the stuff that i do like about anakin in the show because he is just overly confident and he he's got some major skills like you said he's the guy who's gonna he's gonna win you the super bowl because he's just that good it'd probably be a pain in the butt to deal with but but that's what this show does well is is it it proves his um his skills yep. and so that's what i do like about it and in, in, in this moment he's like oh well, we're gonna figure it out but he is the one doing it and he can do it because he, he's got the the talent mm-hmm. cut to monday and his crew general i left a squad to protect the tanks are you sure this is the shortest way to the landing zone no i'm not sure commander all i can do is trust my instincts is this a contrast with anakin I think the audience might think it is. One seems like bravado, one seems like wisdom, but ultimately, yes, they are doing the same thing, right? Like, I'm just going to wing it. <laughs> They're just winging it with different styles. One is uh, slightly more mature. But it's, it's the difference between it is the difference between feeling something to be true in your mind and feeling something to be true in your gut, and that is the thing that only wisdom can get you. Like, this guy's saying, I have to trust my instincts and my intellect from my years of doing this, whereas Anakin's like, hell yeah, let's jump over here. I find, and I, it may just be in the delivery, but there's a lot of chivalry in the Mundy character, where he is a Jedi knight. And just the the way he holds himself as a knight, I think, comes across here in his relationship with the clones. Oh yeah, to- it's 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 everything we've talked about with him being in in connection to literature already. Like he is the Cyrano character. He is a fighter, but he is also chivalrous and stands on ceremony. And yeah. things are important to him. And and that's and that and and that's why I said like this guy's a great character. And and damn, I wish we got more of him. Like I'd watch a movie about this guy. Clone says, "Wait a minute." I hear wing vibrations up ahead, and then we hear this screaming 
coming from inside the cave, which is always a good sign. You should move further into the cave when you hear screaming coming from the cave. Oh, yeah. Inter- fun fact. The sound <laughs> that they use for the Geonosian bugs is a mixture of the mating call of penguins and fruit bats fighting over a banana. You know, I thought that's what it was <laughs> when I heard it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought, boy, that sure sounds like penguin mating calls. <laughs> Let me go to my sound files I have saved on my computer. Yep, there it is. It is yeah, it's uh, it's my <laughs> it's my alarm for the mornings. <laughs> Cut to Skywalker on top of the wall. So what's the plan, General? Just keep us covered, Rex. There's too much laser fire for all of us to make the climb. Ahsoka and I will handle this. Just be ready when that wall comes down. Rex, by the way, is not gonna be ready when the wall comes down. <laughs> Anakin and Ahsoka pull out, you know, the Batman grappling hooks, actually. And there is a partnership here. And I want to especially note this, because we don't see Anakin do this really with any other character, even with Obi-Wan. There is a partnership that you see with him and Ahsoka that is unique, and it's tight. It gets built in the next episode. And it's just worth noting that they're on the same page nearly all the time. I think that's because Anakin's a leader and not a follower mm. at, at his core, right? And so he, he's got his own follower now, and, and he takes that on with a certain amount of responsibility, but it is also that big brother, like, come on, I'll show you how to, you know, go pick up chicks or, what, you know, we're, we're yeah. going to scale this wall. And so I think his, uh, yeah, why that is a better suit is because he, 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 he instinctively leads and following is where he gets into trouble. If you watch the second episode of the whole series, which we're not going to cover, he essentially says, hey, Ahsoka, this is how you break the rules. Droids. The Albergado system. Huh. So it's okay when you don't follow what the Council says. Doing what the Jedi Council says? That's one thing. How we go about doing it? That's another. That's what I'm trying to teach you, my young Padawan. And that's exactly right. It's big brother teaching little sister. Okay. Yeah. You know who he is? I just thought of our comparison that we were looking for up at the beginning. He's he's Steve from Stranger Things. He's impulsive, he's reckless, but he is taking care of those kids. Perfect. And they both have great hair. <laughs> How did we miss it? How many droids have you shut down so far? 25. Ah, you're falling behind. Let's go! We're going to see this in other uh, episodes where the clones will talk about their post-traumatic stress, that they actually are having a hard time emotionally. And I wonder if there's not something here with these characters where if you make it all a game, you somehow remove yourself from the horrors of battle, as it were. Like a lot of a lot of movies, and you brought up Full Metal Jacket, but like I see this in Platoon some, where some of the characters, in order to escape the god awfulness of it all, go over the top. You know, if we read read into it, I wonder if there's not something there. And this is the best you can do is just is do a count. Right. Again, with the the counting on top of the wall, there's a lot of Lord, uh, Lord of the Rings going on in this set of scenes. It looks like Helm's Deep to me, the the way that the the wall's kind of structured. And then, of course, you know, Mundy is going into the cave and fighting 
insect-like creatures, which is very much out of fellowship, where, you know, Gandalf and his team are going into to the mines of Moria and fighting goblins. Orcs! Or even, I mean, Frodo has to do it. Against uh, against a, sp- uh, a literally a bug against a spider. Oh sure, yeah, the shelob scene. The sh- yeah, thank you. I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember what it was called. So Anakin and Ahsoka are looking for a place to put a bomb in the wall so that they can take it out. Again, there's a Helm's Deep image there. A battle dry- droid pops up. They kill some clankers. They plant the bomb. Then then they force lift off the wall with Rex beside them, and the wall explodes, and they're falling. And epic scene here, but it shows you the power that the, uh, the these two Jedis have in terms of, here are the, here's the, the laws of physics in this universe. Because they force catch themselves, they force catch Rex, and then they also force catch all of the, the debris that's gonna, gonna crush them. And just wonderful, epic, you know, uh, adventure scene. And Rex throws out the joke. Next time, just tell me to jump. That's the kind of stuff that I, I, I love. And that, that's what I want to see more of. Right. It's just cool to see them fully wielding the force and, and doing some truly epic things with it. And that's kind of what I was talking about with Anakin doing epic things. But that's the stuff that I love is the Jedi are kick-ass. They have these incredible powers. So show me more of that. You know, Don't, don't mm. be too, too coy with it. But that, that's the stuff that I like. I will also say, not for nothing, we talked about droids earlier, so I'll say it here. That moment where they knock that battle droid off and it falls and the battle droid essentially is like, oh no, as it like, they, they give those droids the funniest voices for like the things that they say. And I don't know if that was intended comic relief, but damn, did I laugh. Like it was just because it was like, oh dear, I'm dying again. Cut back to the cave. Mundy is is fighting these bugs. And he says, bring in the flamethrowers. Flamethrowers. <laughs> now I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> flamethrowers can be a mean weapon. Apparently, the flamethrowers were a George Lucas idea on the backside. It was just like, you know what we really need right here? They're fighting bugs. We need some flamethrowers. Which, so it seems like an exterminator move. It sets up that World War One, World War Two feel, maybe. But when, when we're introduced to the personalities of the Geonosians and Rebels, this scene takes on a different coloring because these creatures have heart and they have um, will and they have good ambitions and they're defending their planet and they are as we are saying the empire is out or the sorry the separatists are outsourcing weapons manufacturing to people who don't care i mean the who only care about their families feeding their families and they have a bad king and now we're gonna we're gonna burn them to death right i mean it's it's the stormtroopers on yeah on endor with the the ewoks you know uh this this human uh, race kind of with a uh, somewhat of a disregard or, or disrespect or even the way we treat the way we treat humans yep the same tactics that are used for soldiers in terms of we need to name the enemy something dehumanizing and there's a bunch of racial slurs that i could kick out here which i'm not going to but you will know the racial slur for germans or for the vietnamese or etc and that is used here by one of the clones. He says, we hit a mess of bugs that were surrounding us. And here's the thing. They're just bugs. They're just bugs. Mm-hmm. And you know what you can do with bugs? You can set them on fire. Yeah, swat them. But, but if they experience pain, have their lives, care about their futures, care about their kids, 
and have intelligence that uh, uh, clearly they do if they're able to manufacture weapons at this level. How they look eh, might be, we may need to second guess this. Similar kind of thinking through the perspective of the other that takes place in Ender's Game, if you get a chance to see that, where you have these very ugly-looking creatures, and of course they're the bad guys that just need to be eliminated. But the it's really the inner life of the people that look like you and me, the other humans who are really the toxic characters who are immoral in this situation. Additionally, to I'm going to plug it again, uh, Jojo Rabbit, I think, does an exceptional job of that. Yeah. Like you have this young Nazi who is part of the Hitler Youth, who is part of the part of part of the gang, um, who's been taught to believe something about a race of people. And in, in the case of this film, the people who are who are Jewish, they think all these terrible dehumanizing things about them, not realizing that they're people who have hearts and minds and souls. And, and until he interacts with and meets a young Jewish girl in his home and sees that she is a person and all these dehumanizing things that they have thought about these people is, is hideous. There it is. Ahsoka sees the flames and, um, tells Anakin and Anakin, uh, gets on, on the radio. Master Bondi, do you read me? We are here, Skywalker. We took a slight detour that put us out of communications for a bit. This has been a day for detours, Master. Indeed. But now the road is clear. I can see the landing zone. It does not look good. Can you get me Admiral Yularen? Admiral, we're at the breaking point. You've got to get some fighters down here. You're out in luck, General Skywalker. I have one squadron available. He's been saving this the whole time. That he was told there was no such thing as luck, and now he is the instrument of salvation for everybody because he has intentionally held back this single force. He can't send the forces in earlier because if he does, he doesn't have them for this moment. What the director does is just make a great war scene here. Things are going badly for the clones. The music starts getting real dark. The troops are getting pushed back. They're screaming again. Kenobi looks very worried. He's haggard. He's beat up. There's clones that are yelling with despairs. And then a set of Y-Wings burst in again. And it's this beautiful shot. And we hear the clones yelling. And again, there seems to be to be a Tolkien callback, and this is the Eagles. The thing about the Eagles in some of Tolkien's stuff is that they're not really, it's, it is a, uh, what's the word for this? You'll know it, where you just get saved by the hand of God. Uh, deus ex machina? Yeah, that's it. Uh, for Tolkien, it's just like you're pulling this out of thin air. But this is why I actually like you, Lauren, telling the clone earlier, I don't have any forces to send. We're doing a planetary invasion, and we got to do this by the books. Because now you have a scene where you can build up the tension, and then when the Y-Wings come, you actually have, no, 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 we save these for this this point in time. Yeah. I'm sure they're stealing this, this scene from uh, some movie, because it looks really familiar, and I couldn't place it. But it's essentially the bombers that come in there's been forces on the ground they've been you know fighting it out in the trenches and then suddenly you know the airplanes fly overhead and they start bombing the the enemy and and the day is rescued 
Yeah, I mean, and also, I, I, I said it, I've said it a couple times, and I'm just going to say it again, because why not? It's Dunkirk. You know what I mean? It's it's D-Day. Like, at, at the very last minute, you're saved. Mad Max is there to save the day in this airplane. <laughs> Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy's been quiet this whole time. He's had most of his face covered. Comes in, shoots down all that. Well, I mean, it's also just a Star Wars thing. I mean, that idea of that shot, Luke and Han freezing to death together on, on, on Hoth and the ships flying overhead and, and Han saying... Yeah, it's there's there's a lot of moments like that in Star Wars itself. I guess that's true. There, the Falcon might sweep in at the end of New Hope, save the day. Yeah, 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 exactly. We cut back to the ground. Uh, troops and Obi Wan, Anakin arrives. Master Kenobi. Well, what happened to you? I might ask you the same question. Which, speaking of fish called Wanda. <laughs> I might ask you the same question. Yep, that's, yep. Our combined forces should be enough to destroy the shield generator. Anakin, you'll need to take a small squad through the shield, as close as you can get to their gun emplacements. From there, you'll be able to temporarily jam their scanners so they are unable to target the incoming tanks. Once the tanks knock out the shield, Master Mundi can bring the rest of the troops in with the gunships. Consider it done, Master. Anakin, Ahsoka commonly lead these charges and i always think they're they're wonderful to watch where it's just like i got a lightsaber you got a lightsaber let's run at the bad guys because we have what it takes it's wonder woman going into no man's land and uh just taking people out yeah i loved this moment in the episode just seeing them charge because at this time you had you know the tide is finally turning after all the tension that you've had and yeah the the way it pans out in the scene too it's just so cool. It, it, it does look heroic. I, I love that moment in this episode because they're just charging in and they finally got the a, a little bit of an upper hand, but there's still stakes there, and it just looked cool. They use some uh, electromagnetic pulse grenades, power down some of the gun reinforcements that are, are going to get them. Mundy's forces finally arrive. The battle is won. Took them a long time to get there, but once they got there, it took all of 30 seconds. <laughs> Day is one. Episode ends with Anakin carrying Obi-Wan and Ahsoka saying, So, Master, what was your total? Not now, Ahsoka. Come on. Are you afraid you lost this time? Fine. 55. That's my count. And you? 60. Looks like I won. And again, it's the summation of the Lord of the Rings, uh, Legolas and Gimli kind of thing. It's Legolas saying, Final count. 42. 42? Oh, that's not bad for a pointy-eared elvish princeling. <laughs> I myself am sitting pretty on 43. To which Legolas shoots an arrow between his legs and kills. 43. He was already dead. He was twitching. Of course, why is he twitching, Daniel? Because he had an axe in his back. He was twitching. Because he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system. Here's the thing about the comic relief of this sort, which I think is worthwhile here, because it can be the case that this comes across kind of childish, is in Lord of the Rings, the Legolas Gimli stuff can likewise have that childish playfulness, but it sets up the relationship for later. Yep. And when Gimli turns to Legolas at the end of the trilogy... I thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. 
What about side by side with a friend? I... I could do that. Daniel, you and I... <laughs> we cry every time. Every single time. I, 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 full transparency, I'm tearing up thinking about it. I like, like just a little bit, like I, I went to find the quote and I'm typing it in and I'm imagining Gimli saying, I, I can yep. do that. Yep. And I, yep. I'm just like, Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> they love each other. Yep. <laughs> well, I just think it's, it's interesting Every film that we've referenced, whether it's whether it's Band of Brothers, whether it's Dunkirk, whether it's Jojo Rabbit, whether it's 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 any of these things, are all about friendship and yeah. and in, in the face of things that are hellish and 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 I didn't make that connection until right now too. Like it's it's war movies are interesting only because of the bonds and friendships that happen in them, and and this this is a perfect way to end this episode. This is one of the things that is happening right now in in Star Wars fandom. We are realizing what a gift Dave Filoni creating Ahsoka is because there aren't very many movies that create the female character who is in that spot. She is part of the friendship. She is part of the band of brothers and sisters here. And yet experiences a lot of very feminine moments as a mothering character. And her eventual stepping away from the Jedi Order strikes me as a very... Her storyline is much more of a feminine storyline in that place of the being encircled by men who are telling her her role and her failure and her overcoming and her finding her identity out of that. It's going to be obviously one of the big stories that comes forth here, but what a treasure. And I think uh, when, when you when you list characters that I'm the most excited to see brought to the screen live, I'm I'm so excited. Come on. Bring it on. We are we are weak. So, dear listener, we are three or four weeks out from uh Mandalorian season two releasing. And so you will know what happens. We we are still jazzed. It is twenty twenty, however. <laughs> so yeah, throw that out. But dear listener, you're listening to this in 2021, and, and ev- pray for us. And everything turned out fine, didn't it, folks? It's, uh, that's how this wraps up. So Anakin says to Ahsoka, fine, 55, that's my count. And you, she says, 60, looks like I won. And Anakin says, yeah, but I called in the airstrike, so it's a tie, which is entirely juvenile, especially how it's stated. I'm sure it's intentional. She says, you're impossible. Obi-Wan says, I'll never understand how you can simplify these battles into some kind of game. And of course, Obi-Wan will be referencing our PTSD discussion. Anakin says, well, take care of yourselves. I expect to see both of you back here by the time I've destroyed the main factory. Which is what's going to set up the next episode. So they've taken the beachhead, as it were. There's your D-Day. But the factory remains. Um, So Mundy comes in, and he says, 65, Skywalker. Um, sorry? My total, 65. So what do I win? Mundy wants to be included. Mundy is seeking to connect with the kids. Anakin, again, I think plays down to the 15-year-old, but he plays up to the 60-year-old here. And Anakin steps forward and he says, my everlasting respect, Master Mundi. 
And, and this was not expected. He goes, oh. <laughs> oh, thanks. I thought it'd be another wife, but. Is that know, it? Whatever. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, whatever. Six is a good even number if I could. You, know, you just. Uh. <laughs> Obi-Wan <laughs> says, that is a gift Anakin rarely bestows, I assure you. And that's the last word. From a comedy writing standpoint, it should have just ended with him saying, oh. And like, oh, and, and Obi-Wan chuckle it. Like, what do I win? My everlasting respect. Oh, and Obi-Wan just kind of laughs and then you <laughs> and then you fade to credits. Like, I think that would have been. <gasps> that is what's going on. It's a diminishment of Anakin. Can yeah. It? yeah. Well, it's interesting. I feel like Anakin, you know, because you mentioned he's kind of playing up to like, oh, you have my ever, everlasting respect. But Obi-Wan is like, yeah, you don't respect anybody, you know. It's stating the punchline twice. It should have just been like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's an interesting look at uh, the the Obi-Wan-Anakin dynamic, which, I mean, if this is really your entry point, you've gotten ta- a taste of that, obviously, throughout the episode, but that kind of sets it up well, of the, that kind of love-hate relationship, honestly. Last thoughts on this whole episode? It's the start that I wish that we had had because it gets you into the world an alien planet you're already in the action uh and i I think this is a a very appropriate starting point for somebody to get into the action get the relationships get a sense of the world uh and and then just go from there Uh, you know from coming coming from where i'm coming at it with having probably only seen about seven episodes of the clone wars leading up to this because um at the time when it was airing I happened to live with a good friend who had a a seven-year-old son who was all about this show, and I watched seven episodes mm. of it with him, but it was su- such hit or miss, I never walked away with an instilled, dis- like, this is a lot of fun, and I love Star Wars, but I never walked away from it being like, I gotta sit down and check this out. This episode, and subsequently the next two that I have also watched, uh, Follow up, following up from this one, this is the one that made me go. All right, I'm just going to go back to the beginning and watch this entire thing because this is great. This is this is good television. Well, that's our sales pitch. It is uh, what there are 150 hours of Star Wars, and we're going to select the best 40, order and elevate them. It's going to be amazing. So I'm glad that you're sticking with us. Next time we are going to watch the second episode in this arc called The Return to Geonosis, which is, let me look it up real quick. I have it next to me. The show, it's called The Weapons Factory. It's season two, episode six. So as with all podcasts, this one will only survive if you hype it with passion to friends who love a galaxy far, far away. It would mean the world to us if you take just two seconds right now and give us some stars on iTunes or simply share this on your social media of choice. Music here is by John Williams, Samuel Kim, Ludwig Gordonson, and the great Kevin Kiner. All Star Wars material is created by the phenomenal artists at Lucasfilm. And you can find all the links to all of our stuff at StarWarsBinge.com or on the Twitter. Um, he's Daniel by the Shed. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Many thanks to Josiah. A great service to the Republic, as you have done. And I'm Jeff Cook. My allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! And you want to know why? This is the way. Because this is the way. This is the way. We have spoken.
I love it. <laughs>